This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusica.com. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Hut Entertainment Report podcast. And tonight, we have a Canadian superstar legend in the building. Listen, I usually just, I memorize my intro, but this guy's accolades and his titles are so crazy, I actually have to read this from my phone. And this is just a snippet of what this gentleman has done, all right? He's a motivational speaker. He's His achievements and his titles include National UNICEF Ambassador, a Harry Jerome Award winner, Scarborough Walk of Fame inductee in 2015. He's also won a Bob Marley Award, a Canadian Idol judge. He was also Maestro Fresh and West's original manager. We're also talking about the founding music director of Flow 93.5 and so much more. You know who we have in the building? We have Mr. Farley Flex in the building today. What's going on, my brother? I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's been a minute. Trust me, it has been. You know what I mean? With so many accolades, as I said, I usually memorize it, but there was no <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just my professional ADD. Yeah. You never know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I could not remember that there. So let's go right to the beginning, beginning, beginning. How did you even get the name Farley Flex? Wow. So that was actually an indoctrination by Maestro himself because we were... Well, first of all, I was I was in the gym and stuff yeah. like that, you know, you know the biceps, the yeah. pecs, the whole nine. <laughs> and um, Wes mentioned my name in a song. Yeah. He referred to me as F. De La Flex, right? Okay. And um, I had was just starting my management company, like the actual official registration of it, yeah. which was Full Flex Management, okay. based on that. Yeah. And um, then adopted the moniker Farley Flex. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history, man. But I have to give Wes props for that. Like, he was yeah. the original one mm-hmm. to get in that. Yeah. Wow. You see, I even thought, I thought you had the name before you even got into the industry. No, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no, no. My family name is Fridell. Okay. Right? So your first name really is it's Farley. Farley. Yeah, yeah, Farley's my birth name. Absolutely. Yeah. I was named after um, uh, an actor. My mom was a registered nurse mm-hmm. um, for her whole career. And uh, when I was born in England, okay. and she was the nurse of an actor named Farley Granger, who treated her quite respectfully in whole yeah. nine. So she named me after him. Okay. Just like that. Wow. Yeah. You were born in the UK. When did you actually migrate to Canada? So I went born in the UK till just around when I was two. Okay. Went back to Trinidad with the entire family. Okay. Um, lived there till I was about just about six, and then yeah. came to Canada. Okay. And at Edmonton first in October, by yeah. the way. Right, Edmonton, October, saw snow from Trinidad to, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, straight up. Yeah. And uh, lived in Edmonton for two years, then we moved uh, to downtown Toronto, yeah. and eventually Scarborough, where I sold all the wild oats. Well, great, that's so crazy. So you've mm. been a traveling man from basically jump. Yeah, travels, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And my mom loved to travel. She, yeah. My mother loved to travel and still does. Mm-hmm. Um, she's 89, this is her 90th year coming up here. Okay. So. Yeah, man. That's so, looking good. Yeah. So what was your first foray into the entertainment industry? How did you get in in the first place? Well, for me, it was like really when I was around 15, 16 years old, I had my first dance, which was a breakdance competition in Roller okay. Palace. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, myself and uh, the one of the top DJs in the city at the time, arguably, was Tony Duncan. Yes, right? yes, yes. And Tony and I had a dance at a place called Roller Palace mm-hmm. where we... Um, you know, we knew what we wanted to do. I was playing a lot of sports at a relatively competitive level. So okay. I was traveling around the city for basketball, soccer, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, I would promote things through that at those avenues. But yeah. Tony was an actual promoter DJ. So we did that. And we had this, this dance and like 1,500 people showed up. 
Uh, but it was a break dance competition, a yeah. regular dance because we, we wanted ladies to show up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, roller skating, all three sort of in one element. All three elements in yeah, one, one under space. one roof. Exactly. That was crazy. And was Tony on Sunshine at that time? That's there? right, Sunshine yeah. Sound Crew. That's okay. absolutely right. Do you remember what year this was? Yeah, this would have been uh, 78. 78? Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay, so you entered 78, you got into, you got your feet wet on the um, competition there. Mm-hmm. And then where did you start to go from there? Yeah, so um, did the odd party back then, but then when I went away to university, I went to the University of South Florida to play soccer. Okay. And um, when I was down there, I worked with, you know, security. I got exposed to the more of the back end side of things as far as artist management yeah. without knowing that that was an interest. I, okay. I, you know, my, my degree's in finance, so yeah. I was always kind of a business guy, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially driven. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was coming home, my younger brother and my late brother, rest his soul, we would um, work at a spot called Wizards. Okay. Right, and Wizards is actually where I met Maestro, and that's a cool story too because yeah. um, all the older cats like myself were, in terms of that environment, where we worked security at the front door, yeah. and my younger brother and DJ LTD's younger brother Paul. Okay. Um, some cool, a lot of cool cats. A kid named Mike Osborne, hilarious. Um, all we'd have these rap battles, mm-hmm. and these battles were essentially about me or us, I should say. Um, at the door, we'd, we'd have come up with a rhyme about the bus boys and stuff. They'd, yeah. they'd corral and come back at us. <laughs> okay. But we were, we were annihilating them. I had a little freestyle yeah. skill back then. <laughs> All right. And then one day they got really good. Like, I'm talking overnight. Like, yeah. you know, we go home and then the next day, all of a sudden, they're like, got these lyrics. What's going so on I was here? like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. So I took Paul and I think my brother in the back. And um, no, they took me into the back, into the kitchen um, area. And they opened the swing doors. I see this sort of lean kid with his back to us because he's watching chicken wings. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And they said, and they pointed at him and said, "That's that's why we got so good." I said, "Hey, yeah, you, you helping these guys drop the, drop their freestyle rhymes?" He, he turns and just gave a coy smile, yeah. and that was that was Wes Williams who became Maestro Fresh Wes. Just so like that's that. where I met him. Just like, okay, so then you. So he was Ebony MC. Then you met there were Melody and Ebony MC. That's him and Marlon Bruce. Right, so remember the battle with Cash Money and stuff like that. I, I remember around. hearing about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So okay, so his original name was not Maestro Fresh. No, right? it wasn't. No. Okay. No. And then when did it actually change over? When, when he and I started working together, he had he had a whole concept ready to go. Yeah. He goes, "I'm a maestro. I wear a tuxedo." Yeah. Um, he didn't want to look like all the other rappers in like you know velour suits or whatever at the time. Yes. Gold chain, Kangos, like yours. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm <laughs> um, no, he actually um, had he was very crystal clear in his vision. Yeah. Okay, and then when did you guys actually connect and then start to execute this vision here? So when I came home from school, he reached out to me. He was going to school at Carleton, okay. and he said, um, I want to try this um, and get a record deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you help me? And he knew of my the parties and stuff he used to do, and we had conversations. So he knew I had you know some aspect of business acumen. Okay. And I agreed. I loved the notion, the thought of it, and it was yeah. early in hip-hop from a, you know, it's a, trajectory standpoint yeah around and, what year would you say you guys connected well this is 80 ish around there okay right yeah um and we 
got some money together. My mom contributed. I I put like twenty bucks in, <laughs> um, and we uh, shot. I'm I'm showing you a video, right? What if you remember that song? Yeah, of right? course. Yep. So we um, that aired on on, on Electric Circus yeah. on Much Music. Uh, we went on and we performed on on Electric Circus. Um, and then it was widely, widely and wildly appreciated. Yeah. Okay. So they had us back shortly thereafter. But it was a, a bit of a, you know, to be, if I think back clearly, I had to do a little bit of convincing because Electric Circus wasn't, it certainly wasn't a hip hop show. No, not at right? all. But it was national exposure. Mm-hmm. So that's how I was able to convince Wes to do it in the first place. And then to. Oh, add, so you had to convince him, not actual Electric Circus. It was him yet. Yeah, to no, they, want, they wanted us because yeah. they were like, they wanted to support local talent. And there wasn't a whole lot of it, first Got of all. You. Right? There were some dance artists, stuff like that. But there were, you know, there was Mishy, obviously, yeah. people like that. But um, yeah, so they really appreciated the idea of um, having him come on. Yeah. Then we, then we uh, got a call like a couple weeks after. After yeah. the, they'd like to have his back on, okay. and that was the. In the meantime, we were still working on. He was still working on his music, and let your backbone slide. The original version, right? Um, it's what we performed, and that that got that went over real well, and. Yeah, there's a lot to the story, but um, don't you know, stop. <laughs> as as we were leaving, much music mm-hmm. on Queen Street. Yeah. Um, generally, as the manager, I was always, always made sure everybody was where they were supposed to be. So our dancers, Mikey mm-hmm. and Larry, were, were yes, yeah, man, mm-hmm. and um, and Wes were walking out the front door, and I heard "Hey," mm-hmm. and I looked back, and it was Stevie B of Spring Love fame. Yeah. And um, I went back, and he. She said, um, I really like that song you guys did. My record company's in town. I, yeah. I want to let them hear it. I think guys, you guys might have something. I'm um, mm-hmm. playing at, I can't remember the name of the club right now, but it was a club in Brampton, one of those big, big clubs. Yeah. And um, said, if you come out, my record company will be there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there'll be, there'll be a conversation. So went there. They offered us a single deal. Okay. I took that back. We talked to Wes. We, we, but we knew we wanted an album deal. So we graciously, um, it's not bowed out, but we said what we're looking for is an album deal. Mm-hmm. And the principal of the record label in New York said, uh, it was a New York Jewish cat, um, um, Herb Mollis was his name. Okay. He had his partners with Samuel Lefrac, who was, if anybody who knows New York or New York knows Queens, they'll know Lefrac is like an actual real estate mogul. Okay. And it was funny, I remember the reference um, that they made because... Geraldo Rivera was engaged to Samuel Lefrac's daughter. What? And and uh, when they described who Samuel Lefrac was, they said at the time that he made Donald Trump look like a pauper. Right? <laughs> wow, yeah. 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 So um, anyway, when we went there and met with Herb, um, Herb said, uh, you know, I understand you guys want a record deal, but I haven't heard any music. I only heard the one song. I like the song. You know, what else you got? What else? And we had this, like, little demo tape mm-hmm. um excuse me <coughs> but uh we didn't have w- all the stuff we wanted recorded recorded Got so it. i so i basically said well Wes can perform for you right now yeah. so west started to drop some lyrics yeah and um that's how we secured the album deal okay so then the i guess the original let your backbone slide is the one that opened the door to the album, and then you guys remixed it once Absolutely. you guys got Peter it. Peter and Anthony remixed it. Okay, so what we hear, I guess, now as a Let Your Backbone Slide mm-hmm. is not the original. Not the original. It did end up, it was on the album, yeah. right? But it was it was the second version of Let Your Backbone yeah. Slide. Why, why did you guys change it, end up changing it up? 
Well, no, what happened was um, we got a call from Peter and Anthony who were like geniuses. Mm-hmm. And um, they co- and they, oh, they had this amazing cadence they spoke with. I'll never forget that. Yeah. I said, hey, I said, what's up, man? Um, it's Peter. Yeah. Oh, it's Anthony. I can't remember which one right now. And they said, um, we got something we think you guys don't want to hear. Yeah. Just like that. <laughs> and um, it was like, I think, 10, 30. So it was pretty, relatively late at night. Okay. Um, not super late. And we go to the studio, and they put this on. And I kid you not, tears came to my eyes in that moment. I knew, right? And I'm sure Wes would describe it the same way. Yeah. I knew that the elements of that, like people talk about what is a hit. I get asked that all the time. What is a hit? Mm-hmm. And a hit has, it has an anatomical description. You yeah. know, you can talk about the anatomy of a hit. Mm-hmm. And the easy explanation is that if you play a song for a group of people, yeah. and different people like a different part as yeah. their favorite part, the confluence of that, bringing yeah. all that together, Makes right, is what defines a hit. Makes so, f- so in the case of Let Your Backbone Slide, you've got the da da da, right? Some people like that. Yeah. Some people like the funky drummer. Yeah. Some people like Better Yet, I'll Call You Curious George. Yeah. Some people like Call Me a Hip Hop Tic Tactician. Some people like the, the alliteration with the bees, blowing right. away blockades and barricades, make you black and blue from the blast of the blaze. It's right. a blood sport. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, they, so different people had different things that they liked about, um, broke my sacroiliac. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> of you know, course. All those different things. So if you doing a survey like that mm-hmm. you know if you think of a, a buffet yeah. and some, somebody says no the chicken wings are the best thing here no the chicken balls are the best thing here no the some young guys are the best thing here. whatever it is yeah. you know and they, they would you everybody know, has their own then you own. know you got a, you're at a good restaurant you, got, <laughs> yeah. you know what you got, everybody has something that they like yeah. so everybody could get involved absolutely if everything on the menu is good you're at the right restaurant yeah wow and what year was that that's 89 that was 89 yeah. it came, and when did you guys actually shoot the video um, around the same time. Around the same yeah. time. That's and Joel Goldberg. He, yeah. he repped hard. Okay. And you guys shot it in Canada or States? No, we shot it in Canada on Avenue Road and Davenport area. There was a church there that's, I think now it's a an architectural firm. Okay. Uh, well, at some point it became an architectural firm. Mm-hmm. But it was a church, a great location. Yeah. And, um, yeah. That's crazy to imagine that because this is early, especially because there's nobody else blueprint to follow at this time here. Right, yeah. We're the only other s- blueprint would have been um, Ishimi yeah. for, in terms of Wes's inspiration to yeah. take the risk of leaving university and getting it done. Okay. And then management-wise, I it was Ivan Barry. I didn't know much about what he was doing, but I knew he was Mishi's manager. Okay. And um, yeah, but there was no real roadmap to follow, bro. Yeah, so it's like you're just learning as you go. Absolutely. As you go, and to see the fact that you actually created this monster, legendary song. <laughs> you know what I mean? 31 years later, it's still that staple of a song. Yeah, yeah. And as you know, it's been inducted into the Songwriters Hall of mm-hmm. Fame. So um, it's in its 30th yeah, year. So That's crazy. Because mm-hmm. even if you look at the video, I remember seeing you in the video. Mm-hmm. You're the original P. Diddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't want your manager up in the video, this and that, come see me. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you were in that video. Even if you look at when did conducting things, was that around the same time too? No, no, no. That was the next album. Okay. Yeah, that was so, the second album. So then the hit, the big hit off of the first album, what was the name of the first album? Uh, Symphony in Effect. Symphony in Effect. Right. The big song was uh, Let's Let Your Back, back on slide. slide. And and Drop the Needle. Yes, Don't yes, sleep on yes, Drop the yes, Needle, bro. Yes, and yes. Drop the Needle was interesting, too, because Backbone rose to the top like a meteor, yeah. right? Drop the Needle was a little harder in sound and features yeah. um, and lyrics, too. Mm-hmm. 
know what I'm saying? Um, but so that really was uh, that song gained a lot of credibility mm-hmm. um, to support his career. Yeah. No, that's crazy. And then where did it actually, when you guys seen it started to first bubble, that first album, mm-hmm. where did it take you and what were the, what was the feeling behind that? Oh, the feeling was euphoric, man, like, because, yeah. you know, there was no, ex- like you said, no example, right? So when you, you're in a club, I remember Wes and I were in uh, the Falcon's Nest. Yes. And, yes. and um, I can't remember who was DJing that night, but they played the record. Yeah. And... Um, seeing people react to it. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different out-of-body experience, right? Um, and then hearing it on the radio is a yeah. whole other thing. And then mm-hmm. doing in-stores. We did an in-store in uh, Square One okay. at the HMV in Square One. And so many people showed up. They had to shut down the escalator. Sears had to close the doors for sa- like a Saturday afternoon at like yeah. 2.30 p.m. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, just incredible. We actually didn't end up really performing fully. Okay, because yeah. it was just that out yeah, of control. Just crazy out of control. Yeah. yeah. So especially from a hip-hop standpoint, because mm-hmm. they've never actually seen anything like this before. Right. You know and I mean? So I guess that took you guys across Canada as in touring and shows. Did that take you guys into the U.S. also? What yeah, it took us into the U.S., there? not to the extent that we would have hoped, though. Okay. Uh, the label we're on, um, LMR, Lefrac Mollis Records, mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of tentacles in the hip-hop. Like back then, hip-hop labels were definitively like, you know, the Tommy Boys, the Def yes. Jams, etc. Yeah, so they weren't that. They were more the Stevie B dance. You know, they had things like Jim Croce under their publishing, yeah. you know. Um, so that affected the, the potential of the of the work. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, but we we rode the wave. And, you know, it's great. Wes is still yeah. generating revenue. Yeah, that's crazy. So how long were you guys actually, you were managing for how many albums? 13 years. and uh, 13 years? Yeah, so 1889 to like 2000, almost 14 years, yeah. 2002-ish. Okay, Once so I started Flow, when we started Flow 93.5, yeah. that was the, because um, radio, I mean, radio was the bread and butter to that led to shows and and, rev- and income. Mm-hmm. So Wes and I had a really mature discussion, talked about the fact that I wanted to, assist in making this radio station happen because without it yeah. there wasn't the opportunities were like slim mm-hmm. um one of the challenges was that cftr at the time was the pop radio station top yes. 40 station uh-huh. and they switched to 680 news mm-hmm. and that reverberated right across the country mm-hmm. so um it was very important to um establish urban radio certainly in toronto yeah right and that was a 12-year effort literally um I was involved in the two the last two efforts. Okay. And um the successful one was being the last one in and we went on air in like 2001. I so I guess it was a 12 year effort cuz I guess there was pitches you had to pitch there was a lot of stuff against in other between. stations. Okay. Yeah. So the first time Kiss got it, second time CBC got it, mm-hmm. and the third time we got it in terms of our efforts. Okay. And then where did you come into play when it came into flow? What was your role before you guys even got onto air? Oh, I was in charge of the music presentation to the CRTC. Mm-hmm. So I would have to describe the music, um describe the volume of music that existed, this emerging genre called hip hop, et cetera, okay. et cetera. And um, the legacy of black music, really. Yeah. Okay, so it was more like you would have to research and present it to them in a way that's consumable for them to understand. Yeah, consumable for them to understand and and really impact them as to the fact that these big name artists that they would have heard of mm-hmm. 
who didn't have a home for where the where the the birth of their careers came from, which is black radio. Yeah. So obviously they knew Michael Jackson, they knew yeah. Whitney Houston, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> but they didn't know of a guy named Big Daddy Kane or or, or you know whomever. Yeah. And all the early artists that we introduced here, the Cardis and the, everybody you can think of. Yeah. And the, the funny thing with it, to know that people, they don't really know who these artists are, and they're the ones controlling the radios, say, okay, yes, you could get on, or no, you can't. That's mm-hmm. kind of puts them in a real funny situation, because you really don't know what's going on outside. Well, that's why the argument is, is there's a, Flo always had a social and a fiduciary imperative, mm-hmm. right? The social imperative was to give a very influential, mm-hmm. growing um, um, ethnic group a voice, yeah. right? So that was an, inargu- an inarguable point. Yeah. Um, so we weren't going to get the station because of the music specifically. We got it because of the representation of, of, a, of a large group of pop culture influencers yeah. as far as um, a culture. That makes that makes a lot of sense there. So then even early flow, describe some early times at flow, what it was like. Especially, was it seems like you always get involved with something that there's no blueprint for yeah. You know what I mean? It seems that seems to be your strong point. Let me get involved where there's nobody that really came before me. Let's just try this out. What were the early days of flow like? Yeah, um and to that latter point, uh, yeah, I, I love the art of discovery, yeah. even as an artist manager, mm-hmm. right? Um I love the art of discovery and getting involved at the ground level or the seed planting level of things. Mm-hmm. Um at Flow in the early days it was amazing because everybody was thrilled to be part of this historic sort of day-to-day yeah. ex- uh, experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you're there every day. We're se- it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Living I used to it. sleep at the station loading yeah. music into yeah. the system, right, and getting stuff from uh, Napster and don't tell the CRTC that, by the way. But yeah, like, yeah. you know, we were the first one in North America to play Alicia Keys and yeah, yeah, no joke. Okay. Yeah. So those were the early, and what was it like actually day-to-day operations here, as I said, the early times of flow? Well, everybody was learning, yeah. right? We didn't hire a bunch of experts experts in radio. Mm-hmm. like People like Jam and, Jam and I and Mark Strong and yeah. JYs and uh, DJX were all from college radio predominantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we had very few people. We brought in um, a kid named Slim from Vancouver who had done some commercial radio. Okay. Um, Hollywood Rich was a first-timer. You know, so a lot of these folks were just literally, you know, the first time experience. Yeah. And everybody's just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Because we had um, Scratch on the podcast oh, uh, yeah. a little while ago, and he gave us a story about how he got to flow. Yeah. I want to hear your version of how Scratch got to flow. Yeah. So I called him, mm-hmm. right? Um, I wanted the best people from the street, right, who were already in the clubs. Yeah already on college radio and to hit the ground without hiring people outside the quote-unquote culture yes right to pretend they were right and um you know i, I i'm really happy i call scratch mm-hmm. but he but he but it's like anything else there are a lot of singers great singers mm-hmm. you get them to sing in front of two or three people it's a totally different than a stadium of two or three thousand right because there's some anonymity to that mm-hmm. but scratch is a very humble guy um you know, and self-aware, yeah. right? So when he was auditioning, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, and remember, this is like the top DJ probably in the country, but certainly in Toronto, for sure. Having to audition is a, is a even that is transformative in a way in terms of an experience. Mm-hmm. So he, um, yeah, he was nervous, yeah. right? He, the program director was not sympathetic. Um, 
She wasn't, and she, nor was she empathetic. Yeah. But I was confident because yeah. I knew I knew Mark since gosh, I don't know how long before okay. that. So um, I just kept fighting for him. I fought for him, and I fought for him. I said, "Well, okay, I, he needs. He's gonna go, and he's gonna come back, and da 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 da." Yeah. And then he then, but but I was. You know, I was gonna. There was no way I was gonna start flow without scratch. Yeah, like like in, in terms of my role, because I think he was probably what the last one to get to actually flow. Um, he was. I think he was one of the last DJs. He said he was one of either him or was it Specs that said they were one of the last ones to actually get to flow. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, there was no. I mean, last like when we say last. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember now. Mm-hmm. These guys were all on for like within the first breath of the station. Yeah, you know what I'm saying so. Their last is first mm-hmm. when you think yeah. about it, right? <laughs> You're right. You know, I mean, even Specs. When I was talking to Specs too, mm-hmm. he said that um, a lot of times you would actually bring him in to the station and show him how, how to um, program the music and all these stuff. Mm-hmm. He even said there was a time where what was the owner's name again? Um, Denim Jolly. Denim Jolly came in. And saw specs in there. It's like, yo, turn to you. Who is this guy? And mm-hmm. what is he doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, and he ran him out. And it's like, you almost had to say, you know what? You almost had to beg for him. Say, you, you know what? No, I'll take care of everything here. Yeah, yeah. You know, Den- Denim is a, a very astute businessman. But his responsibility was not the music. I yeah. mean, he, he knows music mm-hmm. as a music lover. But the business of music is different than just being the fandom of music. 100% right? agreed. All right. And how long were you actually over at Flow for? I was there, um, well, excluding the effort to get it. Yeah. I was there um, till 2003 mm-hmm. when I got the offer to do Canadian Idol. Okay. Yeah. You and see- I actually overlapped that for a year. And then I then I left Flow and did only Idol for the remaining five years. Okay, so you were on Idol and Flow for a same minute. time. Yeah. I didn't even wait for you a whole not, year. You were not on your personality on Flow. Oh, absolutely, I was. I was. I did the old school show. Yeah, yeah. Reflections, spelled with an X, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, man, my DJ was Christopher Michaels. Yeah, makes sense. You know what? Because you guys are from the same. Generation, same yeah, school. Me and Chris, that. yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, so man. it makes sense. Where you He's say, one okay, of one of, was one of the best DJs, yeah, but certainly, uh, you know, at the pinnacle as far as the old school music. Yeah, no, that's crazy. All right, you brought up something mm. gigantic in your career. Yeah, fun stuff, man. Canadian Idol. Mm-hmm. All right, how did that even come into play? Did you seek them out, or they seek you, or was mutually you guys were seeking each other out? No, no, I got a call. Um, the the lifeline of Canadian Idol was one year behind American Idol. So I had heard of American Idol, but I didn't watch it. Yeah. And um, I knew who, I think it was, like I barely knew who Kelly Clarkson was, mm-hmm. but I was aware of it. And I know yeah. my kids watched it, yeah. right? And um, I got a call from a, a gentleman named Mark Lezakowski, who was yeah. the supervising producer for the show, yeah. uh, saying that um, he was asking around the industry and my name kept coming up as someone that they should consider to be a judge on the show. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm very in tune with myself. I know my loves are entertainment, sports, and people. That's a, Everything I do falls in one, two, or all three of those lanes. Makes sense. So um, when I heard the word music in the offer, um, I often tell the story. Yeah. That's something I would have done for free. But yeah. <laughs> I, I can say that, you know, 10 After years later. After the fact, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I was um, thrilled at the opportunity. And I had to audition too, by the way. So they had, apparently they talked to 75 people from the music industry and they okay. pared us down yeah. based on both individual commentary style, but also based on the compatibility along the, the bench, so to speak, okay. on the table. And this was, what year was this year? Oh, three. Oh, three. And when you say you auditioned, what did you have to do in the audition? So they hired singers who sang well, not so well, and poorly. Yeah. <laughs> and we just gave feedback on yeah. camera. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I like, I'm a bit of a clothes horse. So I put on the, a nice suede shirt and I had a yeah. choker and, you know, the whole nine. I went in there and um, they liked the way I spoke, the way I looked. Yeah. Um, and my style of commentary, I think, was um, empathetic and constructive as far as criticism. And I stayed that course and became that, you know, that's, I was, uh, the beautiful thing about it, I was, I got to be me. Yeah. And I always had a bit of a, like, after I learned about American Idol and watched it, the whole dog thing with Randy, and it didn't come off to me, like, representative of of my people. Yes. So I would always, I love language and I love um, expression and the art of communication. Mm -hmm. So I would ensure that I would, um, you know, represent, positively represent the intelligence mm -hmm. of black people, the style of black people, the compassion of black people. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, so that was that was a great time, man. Something like that makes sense, especially now you're being beamed nationally mm -hmm. as a black man to homes that they probably haven't really encountered black people in Absolutely. Canada in those places. Absolutely. So then Great when point. they see you, that's basically, okay, they see the hip-hop videos and all this, yeah. but then they see you as a, a stark contrast to what they usually see in the videos. Yeah, the media, the media couldn't hold me back because it's live TV to an extent. And, um, and John Brunton, the, the, the owner of Inside Productions, um, was an incredible human being. Yeah. Uh, he loved human character yeah and he encouraged us to be ourselves like he he knew us really well he got to know us really really well and get pushed the right buttons to get the most out of us that he could because remember you're being being a judge your personality is part of the show oh yeah and once you incorporate that because guests come guests go but the five was it four judges four, or five? four four you guys are always there you yeah. guys are a big part of what's going mm -hmm. on and i mean i guess he realized something on it too yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's representation, yeah. and I would throw in some Trinisms and stuff like that to keep myself uh, in the category of authenticity, right? Yeah, and I guess they enjoyed that too. Yeah, yeah, and they had no issues with that. Did you actually go on? Did you actually do any live shows? Like, come off of the um, off of I guess the studio and did a tour across Canada. As far as, as far as. A judge on Canadian Idol. Well, we toured the country to do the auditions, mm -hmm. right? Those were taped shows. Yeah. And then the live studio shows were at the John Bassett Theater in Toronto, um, where the, that was live. That's like, where those yeah. were live. Yeah. Okay, that's crazy. And what were some of your special moments that you can remember off of being a judge on Idol? Um, we had some special moments. Um, John was really emphatic about showing the breadth of individuals that wanted that thing called fame or to experience, you know, being on television. So we had a young lady who passed wind on, on during our audition, which, <laughs> yeah. which is, was probably the most watched Canadian yeah. <laughs> Idol clip ever, right? Um, but we had really interesting people. I remember a young man who was a savant, mm -hmm. and he could name all the scrolling credits 
of every Oscar-winning film from day zero, from the first year wow. of the Oscars. Yeah, beautiful things like that. We had people who were, you know, disabled from the neck down. Mm-hmm. We had people who, many, many, many people who were only there because their mother said they were good. Got you. Uh, we had people who were naysayers because they were into the band thing. They thought it was too corporate. Mm-hmm. But they, when the show started growing, up, growing, um, they adapted. We had people who. Just yeah, it was just it, it's just everything. Yeah, we had yeah, it was everything. It was That's in, crazy. pretty incredible. What's the what was the most difficult part about being on Canadian Idol? I think rejecting people. If that's not in your nature, um, I I had moments where it was um, I felt you know I, I tried to be empathetic. Yeah. Where I felt the 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 the, fe- the feeling of rejection or being mm-hmm. told if you really believe in yourself and you're told by these adjudicators that you're not gonna, it's not gonna happen on this show. Mm-hmm. So I'd always reassure people and say, you know what? This is one of many options. Yeah. Or I'd say, what else do you do besides sing? Are you a good songwriter? Are you interested in management? You know, I would also try to give them a parachute to land land yeah. with, you know? That makes sense because a lot of times, as you said, there's a Simon, Simon Cowell and those guys on those shows where mm-hmm. their personality is to be that guy. Yeah. And I guess that wasn't in you. That wasn't no. What that was that was assigned to um, my good friend Zach Werner. Yeah, and um, somewhat to Jake Gold. They were sort of, you know, in the same ilk of personality wise. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, but both sensitive men. And then Sass Jordan was also awesome too. Yeah. So. Well, that's big there. So, and how long did the Canadian Idol last? Six years for, for six o- years. three to o eight inclusive. And, I guess those six years were some of the best six years that you've been in the industry. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're, it did take its toll on my management company though, because I wasn't, I was busy, man. Yeah. Like a lot of people didn't realize we were on set for like seven a.m. to eleven p.m. Right. What? Great. We were, you know, very well compensated, but yeah. it did it absorbed our lives. You know? Of course, because you're you're basically that's like sixteen hours. You're yeah. you're on a set. The first year I was taking the gold train from Ajax to Flow. Yeah. And. um I had to stop taking the go train once mm. people started recognizing me. And, you know, Canadians are fantastic. Like, Canadians will say, um, they'll whisper loudly yeah. to, see if, <laughs> to see if you react. So they'll be like, um, it is him. Not, it yeah. is him. Yeah. It is him. Yeah. Ask him. No, you ask him. Mm-hmm. Ask him why he voted so-and-so off the show. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd be, like, reading my book or what have you, just mm. totally, totally, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I would get engaged, but I got you. And what were the things there? What was the um, viewership like on that show? Massive. Wow, we were the number one show in Canadian history six years running. That that's when you think about that, that's surpassing the Stanley Cup. Um, maybe not if the Leafs were in it. Yeah. But we didn't have to, <laughs> but we haven't had to we didn't have to worry about the Leafs. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, we were the number one show in the Canadian history six years in a row. Six years. As far as I was told, yeah. Okay, and then what really brought it to an end? Uh, what brought it to an end was uh, a confluence of things. Uh, a, in Canada, you have sort of an oligopoly as far as um, stations. There are only a few stations carrying the swing for the whole country. Yeah. You know, Global, CTV, CBC. Um, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Global. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, the advertising pool gets pretty shallow when you keep going back Got for you. more. And um, Idol, our Inside Productions and CTV had secured, obviously they had our show, then it secured So You Think You Can Dance. Then they got the Olympic contract. Okay. Right? Then the, the economy tanked in 2008, so they put yes. us on hiatus for a year. Yeah. And we're supposed to bring us back. Then 2009 came back, but the economy didn't. 
right, came and the economy didn't. So they decided to move on. Yeah, because a lot of people, if they don't know, the bloodline of any show is clearly advertising. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good this show is, advertising is the bloodline of any show. Absolutely. So if you can't get those advertisers, they can't pay the salaries <coughs> for anybody. So then this doesn't make sense after exactly. a while. Exactly. You know what I mean? Okay, so from Idol, where was your next move after Idol? The next move after Idol was to manage, I managed uh, Toy Alexis and Gary Beals who were did well on the show but didn't receive the support. Okay. Um, I was actually managing, managing them while I was doing the successive shows because they were both on the first show. Yeah. Right? And um, after that, uh, went into some consultation for television and was advising um, and, and securing uh, broadcast licenses for Afro Global Television, um, then Fever TV. Yes. Right? Did both of those. Um, did event, a lot of parties, stuff yeah. like that. Went back to my roots, so to speak, uh, using, I guess, the combination of my, my community profile mm-hmm. with business and, you know, Throwing parties, boat cruises, you name it. And that's where you were. Okay, so then when did um, G987 come into the fold for you? Well, no, I was never on G, though. You were never on G? No, man. I don't know why you thought you were, you know. No, no, never on G. I was interested in being involved with G, but mm-hmm. that didn't transpire for particular reasons that mm-hmm. I'm not really quite clear on, to be okay. honest. Um, I offered my expertise and my help. But I think, you know... Part of what we as a people mm-hmm. um, need to, quote unquote, get over or recognize is that it takes collaboration to be successful in all capacities. 100%. And, um, you know, why reinvent the wheel if you've got, you know, but I don't think they, they, they wanted to, I think there was a, a, a concerted effort to not have a connection to flow. Right, which is which is kind of asinine because you got Gemini, DJs, you uh-huh. got Wayne Williams, you've got this Adriana Sharma who was a salesperson. Wayne was the music director, of course, mm-hmm. or, or um, a program director. Mm-hmm. You've got eighty percent of your staff is from Flow because yeah. they were nurtured to have careers in the industry, and once Flow was sold, mm-hmm. then that was a natural place for them to go because yeah. their mainstream radio wasn't going to hire them mm-hmm. with the exception of eventually Scratch. Yeah. Right? Oh, that kind of makes sense. So it's almost, it was, they didn't want no connection with Flow, but more, probably more or less with you per se, but then they try to put it off as in Flow. Uh, maybe. Um, I think, you know, my personality from the standpoint of the role I would have played mm-hmm. would have been one of influence, mm-hmm. right? Um but I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't have replicated the flow format because yeah. it didn't make sense for G ninety eight, and still doesn't. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but I think that was maybe a misjudgment on yeah. on the parts of the just decision makers. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. You look back, it's just one of those things. Sometimes, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Yep. I know you're also a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. What motivates you? What motivates me is um, the potential of black people, mm-hmm. right? I look at the resilience we've shown. I look at the odds and how we manage the odds that have been against us for 400-odd years, and we still strive and persevere. You open a, you open a gate, or if we open a gate, we flood it with brilliance. You know, you, you know the incumbents of society has really only left um, three avenues 
wide open for us, which are entertainment, sports, and crime, quite frankly. Okay. And and the crime is only proliferated because we are an oppressed people, we are marginalized people. There's anti-black racism, there's an, you know, there's systemic racism, institutionalized racism mm-hmm. that keeps us out. Mm-hmm. So if you don't excel in music and sports, which have very low probabilities of success, yeah. the fallout is gonna be massive and survival is gonna be what it is. And even, you know, when you're educated you know, in many circumstances, you're still not included. Yeah, it's okay. a, it's, it helps. It, yeah. it raises the odds, but not to 50-50 when you and another person who's not of your color yeah. are applying for the same gig, right? And, you know, in this country, as in the United States, the United States Constitution had us described as three-fifths human. Yes. Right? So if you don't disrupt that narrative somewhere down the, the, the lineage of a family, a white family, mm-hmm. then there are people walking around right now who still think we're three-fifths human. Because nobody's dis- nobody's disrupted that yeah. narrative, and in Canada, some of the great heroes, so to speak, of um, our history, uh, people like J. S. Woodsworth mm-hmm. said, you know, black people aren't suited for Canada, and you know things like that. That was said. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and uh, those things they don't waver, they don't shake me, but yeah. they shake. You know, I see our brothers shooting each other. I know why. It's colonization and. And trans, the transatlantic slave trade, just as residential schools and and the colonization of Aboriginal people in this country, our Indigenous yeah. brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. right? We know what the wound is, mm-hmm. but the wound has yet to be acknowledged by the person who inflicted it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So you would think it's more the person that inflicted the wound is the one that has to acknowledge, and then that could start the process of fixing the problem. Well, yeah, from a symbolic standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, if I if I knock you out and my brother apologizes for me, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, you weren't yeah. the aggressor. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. You need mm-hmm. to hear from me that I'm genuinely remorseful for mm-hmm. what I've caused you. Mm-hmm. You know, symbolically, mm-hmm. right, so that your relatives could say we forgive him. Yeah. Because he apologized, he apologized to his brother. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that would start the process to actually get on a better path than we are right Absolutely. now. Absolutely, and I do believe that um, a couple of things have me tremendously hopeful right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, a heightened awareness about our heritage and Africa. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there was a whole sort of um, exodus during the Christmas holidays of 800,000 black yes. Americans went to visit Ghana. Mm-hmm. and The year the, of the return. The year of the return, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, going back to 2003, the, the African Union announced something called the Sixth Region. Okay. Right? The Sixth Region is... Well, the five regions are North, South, East, West, and Central Africa. Okay. The sixth region represents everyone in the diaspora who's taken out of Africa against their will okay. or um, through refugee circumstances, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you, when you read into these things and you find out France still collects $500 billion in taxes from the, Fran- from the French countries in Africa. What? Per year. Yeah. Per year, right? Even if you, people say Africa's corrupt, only $50 billion Right, not that that's a small amount, but mm-hmm. only fifty billion leave the country through corruption. Five hundred billion leave just to France yeah. for um, for taxes. That's not Portugal, mm-hmm. or, or um, um, definitely not. Well, now thankfully South Africa's changed the regimes and everything. Yeah. Um, but you look at uh, the British, obviously, we are the worst of all the perpetrators. Um, yeah, so. Right now, I'm excited. I know I'm going to die in Africa. If I die of old age, that is. Yeah. I'll die in Africa. Okay. That, that I've committed to that um, for myself. Um, 
I love what's happening there. I love that you know my good friend from Dreammaker mm -hmm. Developments, Isaac Oluwalafe, is a, is part of an infrastructure build that for five countries in Africa. Okay. I love the fact that. Um, you know, a lot of the influencers, the Will Smiths, the Drakes, et cetera, are buying land like crazy in Africa. Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I love that um, Africa is starting to recognize those of us who were taken out of Africa, what we can bring because of the mass amount of education we've, yeah. we've um, attained amongst us. So all those things excite me greatly. That makes sense, especially somebody like you. I know you've actually been to Africa, so you're yeah. not just talking from a North American standpoint. No, no. You're talking about somebody that planted their feet on the ground, smelled the air, looked around, and felt and touched Have everything you been there? that was going on. No, I haven't been there yet. Brethren, smell, you hit the nail on the head, smelled the air. Yeah. When you, as a black person, touch ground in Africa, it's, it's an earthquake in your soul. Yeah. I kid you not. Mm -hmm. It's like an earthquake in your soul. It moves you. And it's high on the Richter scale, and it's sustained, yeah. like for days. Like it's mind blowing. You know, it's the, like you know, I, I in the work I do in the community, I I do everything through the lens of what's called the social determinants of health. Okay, right, which are a list of things like, um, to relevant to this conversation, a sense of belonging. It's part of your health, yeah. right? So when you go to Africa, you feel like you belong, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you go to the islands, you feel like you belong, yeah. but you still. You still know, mm -hmm. you, like, you, first of all, you're not speaking your own language, yeah. right? So Swahili is our language, those of us who are West African descendants, at least, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, it's a whole different thing, bro. Whole different ballgame. How many times have you actually been to Africa? And wh what parts of Africa have you been to? Ghana, Sierra Leone, mm -hmm. uh, Kenya, mm -hmm. Malawi, South Africa. Yeah. Okay, five five different countries yeah. on the continent. That's mm. big. And what did you find was the biggest difference in each country? From place that you to place. To? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the only real visual exception would have been um, Kenya. The people look different than the West Africans. Okay. And and the Malawians look very similar to West Africans, mm -hmm. right? South Africans also look differently. Um, I guess pretty distinctly different than the Western. And the, the folks in Malawi, mm -hmm. but um, you know Ghana, Sierra Leone, um, those parts of that's definitely us. Like yeah. you could hear, you know, Africanisms that you can associate with Trinidad, Jamaica, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. When you look around, you see, okay, this is where it originally mm -hmm. came from. This is why, okay, all of us. If you've ever talked to somebody from Guyana, Trinidad, Jamaica, Barbados, and you speak about your parents, we all basically like, we feel like we lived in the exact same house. Yeah, exactly. Because everything happened the exact same way. Black parents who this, West Indian mm -hmm. parents who, it's the exact same way. So then clearly when you go to Africa now, you understand, oh, this is where it came yeah, from. Absolutely. This is why we're the exact same. Absolutely. That's that's actually the case. Yeah. yeah, we only have a different dialect, but we're the exact same people. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's big right you there. You got it, bro. Now it's February, Black History Month. Yes. The initiatives that you're involved in, you're probably one of the best people to speak to. You see the violence in the streets right now from Oshawa to Georgetown and everywhere in between. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the problem? And then what do you think is the solution to the problem? Well, I think um, the problem has to do with cultural identity and the lack lack of it. Mm -hmm. The like I said, the social determinants determinants of health determine all these things. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, educational attainment. You know, when I was out in Africa, by example, mm -hmm. I was in one of the classes, and the students were just. I, I actually taught a class. Okay. Right before I taught the class, 
Um, there was a previous chemistry class, mm-hmm. and they were singing, singing in the periodic table, yeah. like in harmony, <laughs> wow. to memorize it. Yeah. So somebody over, in, whether it be Europe or wherever, decided, uh, oh, kids are too old to sing in class. So yeah. they st- so, but they're taking this out of our natural cultural existence. So I don't, I don't believe. Obviously, many there are many success stories coming out of education over here, of but there are a lot of failures too. A lot mm-hmm. of folks who are lost and can't find. A, a connection. Um, poverty is a massive, massive beast yeah. in terms of why we're seeing the violence in, in the community. Um, you know, young men in particular, um, they don't know what's in the, the various trays in the buffet of life. They just know one or two trays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you, like I said, if you don't make it in ball, if you don't make it as a rapper, right, you have this third option and that you're vulnerable to and, and influenced by that mm-hmm. picks up where the nothingness leaves off, yeah. right? Um, so solution-wise, I think it's about um, making sure black youth understand why they should be proud to be black, mm-hmm. as simple as that sounds, as maybe as cliche as it sounds. Yeah. Also, when you say proud to be black, what would make somebody proud to be black? Well, I think um, pr- proud, like Black History Month started way before, black, the content for, it involved or associated with Black History Month has to start way before slavery. You can't, fo- you can't focus on slavery because yeah. you're starting off negative, yeah. right? You got to focus on when we were dominant or at least independent, mm-hmm. um, indominable, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, as in our history mm-hmm. so that people could connect to, if you could connect to your past, then it gives you a picture of what's possible in the future, mm-hmm. right? So I we took um, myself, my business partner, and my sister's organization took about 1,200 kids to see Black Panther, okay. right, at yeah. Yorkdale and, and right here in Malvern. Yeah. And um, the reason we did that was because we knew that be, the sizzle of superhero movies is one thing, but but seeing Wakanda, Wakanda is who we are. That's yeah. the undisrupted version of us. Yeah. Slavery and colonization disrupted our legacy, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't mean we can't get back there. It's just a speed bump in the timeline of, of, of existence, sure. right? So we have to um, hope that our, or impart on our young people that they're greater than what they've been told, mm-hmm. right? Because what they've been told was not told by their own people. It's Makes told sense. by the media. It's told by teachers. You know, I spoke to a mother today whose son has an 85 in math. Um, his lowest mark is a 69 and mm-hmm. the, the, in grade 8, and they told him he should take all applied in high school. Yeah. Okay, what's your point? What are you trying to say? So basically they're putting a ceiling over the kid. Like college is an option. There's nothing wrong with college, but it's not your only option. So therefore don't suffocate a child's potential by saying take applied in high school, you'll do well, you get all A's. Mm How does that get you into Harvard or Queens or U of T, Trinity College, et cetera, et cetera? cut out a lot of their options. Absolutely, absolutely. So these kinds of systemic um, issues and microaggressions and so forth are not not productive to our success. Mm-hmm. So in, in terms of success, we live in this hemisphere. We have to comply with certain pedagogies sure. and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's support. So that leads me to what I one of the things I'm excited to share with you yeah. is a project we're doing right now called Say It Loud. And Say It Loud is incredible. It's... Um, okay. It's uh, there was an RFP put out by the Department of Heritage at okay. the federal level. When we, you say RFP, what is an RFP? That's, so that's a request for proposal. Okay. Right, and um, we responded with this concept called "Say It Loud," which comes from the old James Brown "Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud." Brown, yep. Right, and to promote Black pride and positive cultural identity, mm-hmm. and. 
you know, it's about technology, entrepreneurship, social initiatives, fashion, culinary, visual, and performance art are the categories that young people ages 14 to 29 can submit their ideas, whether it be from concept or completion and everything in between. Right, and that's all going to be funneled up into um, an adjudication process that identifies the kids who speak to Black pride and positive culture identity the loudest. Yeah. Now, what's interesting? We're having discussions about this, and this would be interesting for your listeners: is that when we talk about Black pride, yeah. people tend to wonder: is it pride as in LGBTQ? Right. But 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 it existed. Black pride itself yeah. exists basically about the being proud to be Black. Just right to make that clear. The board. Yeah, got you. You know what I'm saying, got and that's you. no, that's no, um, not showing any deference or anything to the LGBTQ community because we're all human beings. It's right, right? across the board, yeah. including, including black. exactly. Yeah. So it's about being proud to be black. Yeah, right. And um, you know, the sort of young people who speak that the loudest through technological ideas, whether it be coding or software development or robotics. Um, if you go to the um, to the entrepreneurship, are you what are you opening, and how does it align? So, for instance, and it's from a social initiative standpoint, if a young person comes up with a brilliant way to raise money for lung cancer, yeah. but another young person comes up with an equally brilliant way to raise to raise money for hypertension or diabetes or sickle cell anemia, which are three diseases aligned with Black people, for sure, per, from a per capita standpoint, mm-hmm. then that's going to gain more favor because it speaks loudly to the, focus the betterment group. of black people. Yeah. The focus group, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so very exciting. And the way it's going to work is we're doing stakeholder meetings right across the country. We okay. did Halifax this past weekend. Okay. We're going to Calgary this week. And we're going to meet with local stakeholders who, who work or serve the black youth population and who will then be the local voices of the project along with the overarching marketing and social media work that we're doing. Yeah. Right? Um then on top of that, um, once that phase is through and the submissions come in over a three-month period, mm-hmm. there'll be a two-month adjudication period where we identify those loud voices, so to speak, and um, we'll select from that national collective um, individuals to attend the first uh, uh, Say It Loud National Black Youth Conference in Ottawa 2021 okay. for Black History Month, which is the 25th anniversary of Black History Month. The 25th anniversary? Yes, 25th okay. anniversary of Black History Month, but it's in 2021. Yeah, I didn't know for some reason I thought Black History was around, Black History Month was around a lot longer than 25 no, no, years. No, no, 25 years. That's it. Yeah, and thanks to Jean Augustine. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, yeah, so those youth will receive some funding to further develop their projects. They will be showcased and profiled and positively portrayed mm-hmm. to change the narrative that about, the, like I said, that three-tier nar- narrative or three-pronged nar- narrative of basketball, hip-hop, and crime. Mm-hmm. And the, the conferences, the, nas- the summit will um, transpire. It's biannual every two years. Okay. Right? And it also... The, what's really beneficial here is all applicants will have access to the website, which will offer grant writing services, public speaking training, uh, business plan writing services, wellness tips, you name it, right? So it's a holistic wraparound type model for the young entrepreneur, or young technological mind or young creative person um, to take their projects further. We'll have an e-commerce base for their products when they first come out so they can okay. sell to yeah. the, 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 the website population and what have you. Uh, we'll have newsletters and 
profile features for everybody. Yeah. Like in psych in a cyclical manner, right? Just short, you know, just to give them give them a platform and a, a little boost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's big right there because you're actually. It's almost like you have a Robin Hood mentality where mm. this is everything that I've learned along the way. I'm going to put it into something that could be consumed by the masses, the yeah. people that I want to get to, and this is how it's done. Because it as you it, said, man. there is grant writing. All of these stuff at one time was hidden. There was one or two people that knew, okay, this is how he did it. Yeah. Okay, we have the internet now. The internet would show you all of this. That's good. But you now that went through it, you're going to hold their hand and say, listen, step by step, this is how yep. it's done, and I'm going to show you how it's yeah, done. Yeah, you pay it forward with interest, my man. Yeah. No, that's crazy. When it comes to your legacy, when it's all said and done, what is your legacy going to be? Well, I, I encourage people to live their legacy while they're here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the said and done is not really in my vocabulary. I, I encourage people, you live now for what you want to be remembered by in yeah. a conscious, real-time state of mind. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, you know, when I've never heard a negative eulogy. So yeah. getting <laughs> having great things said about yeah. you at a eulogy yeah. is not necessarily all that special. Yeah. right? But if people can say that you influenced their life while you're here, yeah. then that's a good look. That's a lot special. Yeah. While you're living and they could say yay or nay. Yeah. That makes sense right there. Mm -hmm. What's next for Farley? Because you've done um, so much. Well, what haven't you done that you want to do? Something you haven't got into that you really want to get into? Well, I answered, I'll answer that in two parts. What I'm doing now that I'm really interested in, I've got an esports company. We're in the gaming world. Um, we're doing a lot of stuff with esports. Over on the esports oh, side. Oh, yeah. Smart guys. Smart, <laughs> Yeah, man, because, again, it yeah. engages youth, right? Mm -hmm. And I look at the things that engage youth, and I want to be part of those things so that, you know, I, not as a gatekeeper, but as, yeah. as a steward, you know yeah. what I mean? And... Um, you know, we're, we've created an esports union called Yes You, Youth yeah. Esports Union. Um, we're going to bring a grassroots approach to an accessibility approach to, to esports because, you know, there's cats out there making millions, right? Mm -hmm. We can't, uh, you know, and this is not just a black thing, this is a, this is a youth thing. Um, we're, you know, just creating access for people. Um, you know, that's under a company called Gravity Sports, and I've got True Gravity Agency, which is a speakers bureau, True Gravity Productions for television production. Then I have my original production company. We have a show in development with CBC right now, and that's pretty cool. It's about a rapper from Newfoundland who travels across the country to Toronto to, to validate his skills. Um, yeah, lots, lots of really cool stuff, you know? A rapper from Newfoundland. Yeah, white rapper from Newfoundland with mad skills. So it's like Ali G meets um, 8 Mile. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and how did you guys even come up with that concept? I wrote the concept. Yeah. I've got a business partner, Jeff Watson, on that. But I wrote the concept largely in collaboration with him. And, um, you know, I've always been a fan of this country and a fan of Newfoundland in particular. The people are special. If you get a chance to take your family there. Newfoundland. I, yeah, it's, it's an incredible part of the country, along with... Um, obviously, North Preston and, and so forth in, yes, no, in Nova, Nova Scotia. Scotia. You should yeah. try to get those pla to those places yeah. and see how people celebrate life differently. You know, that's amazing right there to know that you actually you've been across Canada and you can oh, enough tell times, the difference. Yeah. You know what enough I mean? times, yeah. Enough times. Hold on. I have this wrong here before I get you out of here. It's called the rapid facts. Okay. I ask you some quick questions. You give me back some quick answers, and we take it from there. Cool. All right. What's your favorite color? Brown. Okay. What's your biggest fear? Nothing. Okay. Favorite food? Split peas and rice. 
All right. Are you a cooker or a cleaner? Both. All right. What's the last book you read or listened to? Ooh, last book I read that I really stays with me is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Okay, what what type of book is that? I know Malcolm Gladwell. He's into a lot of. Is he technology? No, he's more psychology and math. Yes, yes, like statistics yes. and things like that. Yes, um, and that book is Outliers in particular talks about how the obvious is not the obvious. So, for instance. Um, many of the national sports teams, mm-hmm. uh, the predominance of the players are born I- between January and March because when they were four or five years old, yeah. if you're born in January and another kid who's trying out for the same team is born in October, mm-hmm. you're almost literally 10 months more mature physically, et cetera, et cetera, for, for than, than that player. Yeah. So we're leaving a lot of um, talent behind and saying to a kid in hockey or whatever it is that telling their parents they should play soccer yeah. or try another sport. Got but it. then when that kid's 10 months later, had you kept them, yeah. they would have caught up, right? So I'm, I'm very interested in that kind of thinking. I'm very out of the box. I believe yeah. anything's possible, which is sure. which is part of why I'm fearless, yeah. right? <laughs> Clearly. You know Clearly what I'm saying? Really Friday. important. You can't be fearful mm-hmm. and, and, a, and, a, and a, a trailblazer or... A, like I, I don't mind going in there alone and yeah. and and then letting people know what yeah. to what you take the bites you take the punch you take the everything mm-hmm. so everybody else could walk in. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Okay, next one here. What's your hobby? Life, man. Yeah, I uh, I don't work for a living. I live for my work. So I like you. <laughs> All right. What's your hidden talent? Probably writing. Okay, you're a writer. What type of stuff do you like to write? Uh, both poetry, fiction. Um, you know, I don't do it, but I can do it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? All right. How do you relax? Movies, TV, movies, um, friends. Yeah. I'm a, I'm 12 years old with my friends forever. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. That's what keeps you so curious. Yeah, man. I wanted to know and wanted yeah. to try. You got to be curious about your potential and curious about everything around you. Of course. Talking about movies, what's your favorite movie of all time? Of all time? Well, I can give you a few. Antoine Fisher was one. Mm-hmm. Um, Usual Suspects was one. Big movie. Godfather was one. Mm-hmm. Um, a recent movie I just saw, Loose. Yeah. With like, that killed Kelvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. I believe that's his name. Um, he's a black actor from New Orleans originally. He's in two movies right now, one called Waves mm-hmm. and one called Loose. He, okay. I think he's the next Denzel. I'm calling it. Yeah. He is the next Denzel. All right, you put it on record. Yeah. We're going to bring it up when it happens. Perfect. All right. One song that had the biggest influence on your life. Nina Simone, Feeling Good. Yeah. How- uh, uh, in terms of consumption, yeah. Backbone Slide, obviously, in terms of involvement. Yeah. Crazy right there. Do you drink, you prefer water or juice? Juice. Okay. Team juice here too. Okay. Something salty or sweet? Sweet. Okay. Last one here. Your favorite comedian of all times? Of all time? Mm-hmm. Chris Rock. Yeah. Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, but mm-hmm. Chris Rock, um, I like how brazen he is through intelligence. Yeah. And I guess that's really, for you, it's really intelligence. But because you're intelligent doesn't mean you're boring. No. You can be intelligent and be into anything you want to be Absolutely. And I guess that was, at one time, there was a big separation. If you're into hip-hop, that means you're like a thug. You're not really yeah. intelligent. No. But knowledge, the- knowledge is worthless until it's applied. Right? You have, yeah. It's the application of knowledge. So Michael Jordan is physically a genius. Yeah. Right? Because his brain making his body work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, you know, the rappers being able to offer you condensed content in the same timeline that Phil Collins is holding a note mm-hmm. and telling you stories, et cetera, et cetera. There's genius. I've, I've, I've never met an unintelligent rapper. Yeah. Real rapper. Yeah. You know? Because to put together these words, clearly you have yeah. to know something about something. Yeah. Wes, I told, used to tell Wes all the time, that, you know, when we talked about who was the best. Yeah. And I put him with the best uh, in his era for sure. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, if, it, if a Harvard professor was grading his poetry mm-hmm. he'd get an a a no question about because it. he understands how to put it together yeah alliteration um his back phrasing his topical back topic um back and forth it's yeah. just wicked one last question before i get you out sure. here when it comes to the canadian industry for urban music okay why do you think still after you came into the business 88, 89. We're now in 2020. What do you think for urban music, there still isn't a structure and infrastructure for Canadian urban music? Well, I'll tell and you. And we have, for the past 10 years, the biggest artists in the world. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think two things have happened. If you look at um, landline technology, for instance, in the cell phone industry okay. or in the communications industry, mm-hmm. place third world countries that were vying to get better landline service, mm-hmm. then cell phone technology came along and they don't long, they no longer need need landline service. Yeah. Same thing's happening in music. Internet comes along as as the parallel to the cell phone. Okay. And you don't need labels anymore. Yeah. You don't need the landline A&R guy anymore. Yeah. He's no longer relevant because you have direct access to the consumer that he was going to tell you who you might appeal to, Got he or you. she, mm-hmm. right? So now you can determine that on your own through a number of platforms, lum- number of mechanisms, through social media, all the different, from the Colors website to Spotify to YouTube to you name it, it's right? There. So, um I think those days are passe composé, bro. Like, yeah. we don't, you don't need them anymore, mm-hmm. right? So um, I'm not looking for Canadian music infrastructure. What I am looking for, though, is the plethora of acts that are out there having access to venues and live shows. Because while the Internet's opened up a massive floodgate, there's a tsunami of talent coming into the Internet. For sure. Flowing in, but the, the venues are not there. So that's why you're seeing things like living room concerts is starting to happen and all sorts of performances in different types of places because yeah. the, there's no way you could keep up in terms of construction and venue development mm-hmm. to match the amount of artists out there. So I've got a plan for that, all which right, I will dude. not share now. All right. <laughs> Listen, I know you have 30 gazillion plans mm-hmm. ready to go. It's like, Farley, you're amazing and especially oh, I appreciate that, bro. black man. And it's like that. you're intelligent. And you're still down to earth and you get it. You could speak in the boardroom or you could speak on the streets. And that, especially from a Canadian standpoint, is almost unheard of. Yeah, I I, I call it from the block to the boardroom, right? And it's, you know, growing up and being exposed to certain things in the community and still having a love for learning, a love for language um, my, that my mother really instilled in me and my siblings. Yeah. Um, we, we are a debating family. We're a family that can address issues from all angles. Yeah. Um, and to be able to apply that to my career was always fun to do. And um, entertaining people, like I said, entertainment, sports, and people. Like playing sports obviously helped my maturation process, yeah. no question about it. Um, looking at how sports and music integrate with people yes. is also a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, man, that's my ESP, entertainment, sports, and people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It makes sense. <laughs> and right. um, I think lastly, the you know that whole 
balance and duality of the block to the boardroom, it keeps you relevant. I manage a 15-year-old artist named, named Ryan Douglas. Okay. Right? And a 19-year-old female artist named Whitney Otis, yeah. uh, who's from way up in Matthias, Ontario, a town of 650 people. So I get to interact with them and, and have a pulse of where the the young minds are at. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's great because she's yeah. white, he's black, he's Brampton, she's way up their cap is casing. Yeah. So two different perspectives on the same world. Yeah. Right? So to Which me, if you love- youth, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you love life, you got to love people, right? Yeah. And to love people, you got to love yourself, so- Crazy. Farley, the floor is yours right now. Any words of inspiration? Leave some context. Anything right now, the floor is yours. Okay, so I really want to push the Say It Loud initiative for black youth because mm-hmm. that's going to be a game changer. If you have aspirations of working for yourself, knowing that systemic and anti-black racism is, is set up to keep you out. Yeah. We saw, we saw what, I don't know if you saw Joaquin Phoenix's speech. No, I at didn't the get to see it. No, I heard okay. about it, but I didn't get to actually listen or see it. Okay, yet. so I'll, in, to paraphrase, what he said was that um, he was felt conflicted mm-hmm. up there receiving the BAFTA, which is the British Film Awards, mm-hmm. um, because he felt as though that um, people that he felt should be up there were not there because they've been made to feel left out. He's talking about, and he said, people of color yeah. have been made to feel left out. Mm-hmm. And they, he felt that those, he stated, that those who have created and benefited from systemic racism should be the ones to to unravel it. Yes. You know what I'm you saying? You created the problem. You fix it. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, so for me, Say It Loud is going to that platform that both the experience of representing your culture with pride mm-hmm. and representing your, your cultural identity is great. Then the, the, the support mechanism that was never there because we have a lot of families that are struggling. They're overcapacitated, single moms, etc. This is something that's going to augment your, your the love that your parents can give you, right. um, but don't may not have the access, whether it be financial or proximity or whatever it is, mm-hmm. to provide for you. So the, a website is an accessible thing if you're even if you're under a rock, mm-hmm. right? And um, we mean for this website to be a game changing experience for mm-hmm. all youth who have aspirations of taking whatever it is they want to do to the next level. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's technology, it's entrepreneurship, it's social initiatives, it's fashion, culinary, visual, and, um, uh, and literary arts as well. For sure, visual, literary arts, and um, performance arts. Yeah. And what's the actual website where they could check out all That's sayitloudcanada.com. Yeah. And same thing with all your IG and everything. Say It Loud Canada is, is the, um, all the social media tags and all that. Okay. And if they wanted to catch up with um, Mr. Farley Flex, as I told you earlier, when I looked on your LinkedIn, you have mm-hmm. seven job titles. If they want to keep up with mm-hmm. you and find out everything you're doing, where could they find you on social Yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to have to do a website. I'm not, I'm not the best at... S- quote unquote self promotion. Yeah. Um, but I do need a, a presence online that's gonna be a little more accessible to others. because mm-hmm. um, that's part of what I want to be is accessible. But right now it's four one six nine nine eight six five six two, my brother. Just like that. And uh, my email address is um, you know, it depends which company. If it's community, it's Farley at Urban Res that's with a Z solutions.com. Yeah. If it's music entertainment uh, not realm television, um, one of them is F Flex, which is my first initial and last name, mm-hmm. at plasmacorporate.com. Yeah. If it's esports, also television production, public speaking, things like that, it's Farley at TrueGravityAgency.com. And um, if it's actually for esports in particular, it's gravitysports.com. Yeah. And it's gravity with an E. So G R A V I T E sports. E sports. Right? Dot com. So thank those, you. Those, thank you. Th- those are the places I'm at. Farley. My brother. Thank you so, so, so very much. Mm-hmm. 
this was needed, especially for Black History Month. Thank Somebody you. like you that we've seen from the past, what, over like 30 years now, yep. to right now that's still active today, I needed to sit down with somebody. I appreciate like you, bro. So they could see you from the entertainment side to the corporate side to the activist side. You know yeah. what I mean? To the motivation side. Yeah. It's been amazing. Thanks, brother. Appreciate thank you. you. Well, Keep ladies, up the good work, man. Thank you. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two-Line Music Hut Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com.